Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy, and I am your host. And today we are going to talk about I-bonds, I-series savings bonds offered by the U.S. Treasury. But before I get there, before I talk about that, there are a few things I need to get off my chest and to talk about in the context of sort of the current inflationary environment. What decade are we in right now? Yesterday I saw a story from the Nikkei Asia and that said that Japan is going to be spending $48 billion, 6.2 trillion yen, uh, on gas subsidies, low-interest loans, cash assistance to alleviate the pain to to the consumer and the small business, you know, give them some relief uh, from the current inflationary environment. Now, keeping in mind that inflation in Japan is is a relative thing. They have inflation of a little bit more than 1%. It just, that's pretty high for where Japan has been. But in particular, they have a lot of inflation in, in things like fuel, uh, like everybody else does. Uh, about 20% of that money is going to go to businesses in in the form of low collateral, effectively zero interest loans. Um, it, it just seems crazy to me that, that you're going to spend money because inflation is too high. Um, that seems like something that we have learned better not just in the distant past, but we've learned we've we've learned better uh, more recently that spending money does not actually help inflation. It makes it worse. Now I understand that you want to to alleviate the pain to certain sectors of the economy, but you have to understand that when you do that, you're making it worse on everybody else. Um, just like inflation is a tax, uh, subsidizing some people to prevent inflation from hurting them is is you know, like a tax break for certain individuals. Um, I guess that's a, that could be a policy response, but it seems, it seems a little crazy. And then today we, there was a story about how Mexico, the, the gov- Mexican government, is uh, talking to, they're negotiating with, um, with some businesses and, and uh, suppliers of, of staples to Mexican consumers. They're negotiating with these companies to um, control prices. So price controls, which again, ha- have never worked. And, and we've known for a very long time that price controls don't work unless the underlying economic factors would lead to stable prices anyway. If there's an inflationary uh, uplift in prices, putting a cap on the prices only causes shortages. It doesn't actually doesn't actually restrain prices. And, and when you eventually remove the caps, prices go to where they were going to go anyway. So you don't actually do anything by that. And again, this is a lesson we learned in the 1970s. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? These are not new lessons. These are things that we should we should have known for some time. And I'm I'm laughing, but it's really it's really tragic. The the, the amount of economic illiter- illiteracy out there is is truly astonishing sometimes. And meanwhile, we are having a real uh, supply shock uh, with the shutting of of Chinese ports, in particular the the 
port of Shanghai are not actually closed, but but processing things extremely slowly. And there's a massive pileup of shipping uh, of, of uh, container ships and containers uh, outside of Shanghai. Um, and this is another king of the supply chain. Now, early on, you remember the observers uh, liked to say that inflation was going to be transitory because this was all a supply shock. You know, all the delays in the in the port of Long Beach. You know, that was a supply shock. And as soon as we got the kink, you know, unwound, then then the inflation would go away. And that was wrong. And it was obviously wrong because that was a demand shock, not a supply shock. The reason that we had massive tie-ups and, and, and that we still have supply chain problems is because demand came back way too fast because government spent way too much money and it was financed by, by the money printing of the Federal Reserve. Again, this is not rocket science here. So that was a demand shock, not a supply shock. And one of the ways you can tell it's a demand shock is that in a demand shock, prices go up and output goes up. So the economy expands in a demand shock, but at the cost of higher inflation. In a supply shock, growth slows and prices go up. So the the case of the shutting of the Chinese ports has nothing to do with demand. It wasn't because we suddenly started spending more that we can't get all the containers here. It's because they stopped shipping stuff. That's a supply shock. When the Ukraine is unable to, to plant uh, wheat this year, that's a supply shock. That happens to be a more concentrated supply shock, concentrating on, on one particular product market. Uh, but but that's a supply shock. And so it causes a, a decline in output, in that case of wheat, uh, and an increase in the price of wheat. So anyway, I, I wanted to sort of address these things because, you know, it is we got into this inflationary mess uh, because we pursued certain uh, policies that were meant to sort of heal domestic consumption without thought to what it would do to the price level. And, and hopefully we learned a lesson there. Uh, but we're a couple years on from that. And, and by now we should be seeing over the next several years, you know, assuming that more mistakes aren't made, inflation should gradually come down, not to 2%, but it's going to gradually come down. And we should have, you know, a, a stable, if somewhat higher than we're accustomed to, but at least a stable rate of inflation going forward. But that presumes that we are not going to continue to have policy error. And, and so as we see things like, you know, attempted price controls or spending to alleviate, you know, the pain of inflation, those are additional policy errors that we really can't stand right now. Um, hey, you know where to go to talk about these things over the next couple of years as they develop. You keep coming here to the podcast and we'll talk about them as long as they keep making these, uh, these sorts of uh, errors. We'll keep talking about them. But now let's get to the uh, the topic that I actually originally planned to talk about today, and um, and that is uh, I bonds or I series savings bonds. Um, this is 
um, a topic that people have asked me to to discuss um, because it's you know I bonds are a truly unusual animal in that they're a good deal from the government. <laughs> there are not very many good deals from the government, but I-series savings bonds are. In fact, they are such a good deal that if your financial advisor, when when they're giving you the advice to set aside money, you know, for a rainy day, you know, your, your safety nest egg, um, you know, for if you lose your job or whatever, if when they're advising you to do that, they don't say that, First, you should buy I-bonds with that money. Before you do anything else with that money, you should put it into I-bonds. If they're not telling you that, then you should really question whether or not they actually know what they're doing because it's not even really a very close call. The only reason to say not put your your safety nest egg, your safety uh, money into I-bonds is that you think you might need it really, really soon. In which case, you're not really saving for a rainy day. You see the clouds are gathering, and then, yes, you should keep it in something safe and secure and nearby. Uh, but if you are employed and you're, you're going to a financial advisor and they say, hey, first thing we always like to do is put aside six months of expenses in a rainy day fund, that money should be, or at least the first 10000 of it, should be in I-bonds. Other places you could put that that money, you could put it in cash, but cash, as we know, is is exposed to inflation. You could put it in a certificate of deposit, a CD. God, no, that's exposed to inflation and exposed to, you know, and, and it's illiquid and, and lots of other problems with CDs and low interest rates uh, for the risk that you're taking and for the illiquidity that you're taking. Um, yeah. A lot of financial advisors want to come up with some kind of solution that keeps that money in their orbit, uh, but they really should be helping you to, to, to figure out how to invest your money in I-bonds. I-bonds are made for that safety net. They are designed for, for relatively small amounts of money, um, and they are a, a great investment besides just being a good investment for a safety net. Um, I know lots of people who will take their first their first ten thousand of savings every year and put it into I bonds and then figure out what to do with the rest of it. Now, before I go any further, let me say that I don't get compensated by the U.S. Treasury for talking about I bonds. I get absolutely no benefit from talking about I bonds. We, uh, my my firm, offers funds that you know give you inflation protection in various sorts of ways. Um, but I bonds is still where I where I would put the first ten thousand uh, dollars of money that I had. Um, so I don't get anything from talking about them. This is really a legitimate good deal, and you should definitely look into it. In fact, they're they're such a good deal, and you know they combine high credit quality of the U.S. government and inflation protection, pretty good liquidity. Um, they're tax advantage, tax deferred. I'll talk about that in a second. But they're they're so they're so important. They're so valuable that that I joined a number of other people, including some really famous people, um, to sign the I Bond Manifesto. That was mainly written by Zvi Bodhi, um, 
and uh, but also uh, has been the Ibon Manifesto, and you can find it on uh, tipswatch.com, and it's and I'll put a link in in the uh, in the description to this um, to this podcast. Um, but it was also signed by Robert Merton and Burton Malkiel of um, Random Walk Down Wall Street fame, and uh, Bill Sharp, uh, no, another Nobel Prize winner who has a ratio uh, attributed to his name, the Sharp Ratio. Mel Lindauer, who's you know an original Boglehead, um, and so on, and the Inflation Guy, along with a couple of other people um, who are also more famous than me. Um, what is an I-bond? So, so an I-bond is a savings bond. They originally issued in, in 1998. They are inflation-linked bonds. So they have a fixed rate that's fixed for the life of the bond. Now, just like if you go out and you buy a, an e, a double E-series savings bond, they have a fixed rate. But in this case, the fixed rate um, is adjusted every six months by the current rate of inflation. So if your fixed rate is 1%, then um, every six months, your coupon will be 1% plus some number that's inflation compensation. And that varies over time. So that part varies over time every six months. But that fixed rate never changes for the life of the bond. And so what that means is that your income, your interest that accrues to this bond um, goes up when inflation goes up, goes down when inflation goes down, but can never go below zero. So if you've got uh, if you have deflation, then you you don't get money taken away. Unlike with tips, actually, with tips, if you buy a ten-year tips bond and and you get deflation over the next ten years, then you you'll get your your uh, original par back. But with a tips bond, if you say get five percent of inflation first, then your tips bond is no longer really deflation protected, now you can lose that accrual, that 5% accrual. You can't with, with I-series savings bonds. Once it accrues the, the inflation adjustment, that's yours to keep. Now, you have to hold I-bonds for 12 months before you can redeem them. Uh, and then for the first five years, if you redeem them, then you lose three months of interest. But then after that, up to a 30-year holding period, you can redeem them at any time with no penalty. And three months of interest um, is, is not that big a deal when you are talking about your, your emergency savings fund and you're talking about an emergency savings fund, which it has much better protecting characteristics than, um, than cash. Um, the tax is deferred on I-series savings bonds for up to 30 years. You you can, if you want to, pay interest on the on the coupons that accrue, but most people don't. Most people wait until you eventually cash out that bond in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years when you retire, and then you pay tax on the accumulated uh, uh, the accumulated interest over that time, and you pay interest only at the federal level, not state and local. So you're you're immune to state and local taxes on those things. So, and oh, and by the way, if if uh, if you use an I bond for uh, educational purposes, then that interest is tax free. So there are all these neat little advantages, and 
the only sort of real limitation is, like there are really two, I guess. One is that this is a do-it-yourself sort of thing. You can't call your broker. Your broker won't be able to help you. You have to go to treasurydirect.gov and you have to link a bank account and give it information, give them information, and you buy, then you buy your, your IC or your savings bonds online. The government keeps track of them. And that makes some people uncomfortable, and I get it. You can also, and, and that's, so there's one constraint is that it's a do-it-yourself sort of thing. Um, the, the other limitation is that you're limited to $10,000 per, per social security number per year uh, so that a married couple can buy $20,000, $10,000 each. If you've got two children, you can buy $40,000 in a year, um, one for each social security number that you have. And you can get another $5,000 per social security number in paper I-bonds if you have a tax refund. So so that sort of is, is limiting, but it's not all that limiting, especially if we're talking about sort of your your emergency fund, right? So if it's a husband and wife setting up an emergency fund, you put in 20 grand a year, then, you know, in five years, you've got, you've got $100,000 saved there. Um, uh, accumulating inflation-linked interest that is tax-deferred until you cash it out and can be redeemed at any time after that first 12 months. Um, it's a, it, it is a, it is a government um, obligation um, and can never lose value. That's a pretty good set of characteristics. And by the way, as I said, there's no broker fee. So um, I'm a big fan, obviously, of I-bonds. And when people ask me, actually, I was at a, a conference a number of years ago, and there was a bunch of hedge, hedge fund guys in the audience. And, um, and, and I was on a panel, and they asked ask each person on the panel to give your best trade. And... And so everybody's coming up with these crazy, okay, buy Swiss franc and and fund JGBs with this whatever. I mean, they you know, sell this option and do all kinds of crazy stuff. Really, really interesting. And it got to me, and I said, you should buy I bonds because at the at the time, tips were yielding minus one and a half, and and I bonds were yielding zero in real terms, and so they were already 150 basis points better than tips, and you know, the only limitation being that all the guys in the room, all the hedge fund people in the room, $10,000 didn't really move the needle for them. But still, everybody wrote that down. Um, you know, smart money is not just smart money in big ways. Smart money is smart money in little ways, too. And that means that if if you have little money, you can still be smart money in little ways. So that's all I have to say about I-bonds. And for now, that's all I have to say about the crazy inflationary world that we live in that, thanks to policy error, does not look like it's going away as fast as it could if we made good policy decisions. But as I say, there'll be plenty of time to talk more about that over the podcast, probably for the next several years. So, But that's all for today's podcast. Uh, as a reminder, you can contact me, inflationguy, at EnduringInvestments.com, or you can follow my blog, MikeAshton.wordpress.com. On Twitter, I'm Inflation underscore Guy. There's an Inflation Guy app, uh, you a mobile app. You should visit Enduring Investments because that's where I kind of sit most of the time. And, uh, and 
you can see what I do there. And most importantly, always remember, especially now, defend your money. If inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy 